are the utility players i'm ali and i'm rory and welcome to our world of sport rory rugby's back in the northern hemisphere and uh, it's back with a with a win in the uh, was it 1872 yeah yeah the 1872 <laughs> cup for the the mighty men in black and red as uh, as was well, I only saw the highlights. Which didn't look like a, a great game of rugby from the highlights. Uh, was uh, was won by the the team from the capital and taking them through to the semi-finals for the Pro 14 this year. Yeah, I think it's really highlighted how the momentum has shifted in Scottish rugby over the last couple of years. Uh, we've seen obviously traditionally over the past maybe five to ten years, Glasgow being the more dominant force in Scottish rugby and having a great few seasons under Gregor Townsend when he was there, and, and they've can carried on with that since Gregor Townsend left but Edinburgh were in their wake for a while but ever since Richard Cockrell took over they've really upped their game to the next step and, and started pushing Glasgow and now have, have overtaken them securing their place in the semi-final in, and really showing what I think Edinburgh have now become is that under Richard Cockrell they have certainly learned to win tight games and certainly learned to scrap up results which maybe they weren't capable of doing previously and I think a lot of the thing was the Scottish the Scottish sides is that that both Edinburgh and Glasgow needed was was that confidence that they could go out and compete and win these close games and these big games and they both both now have that and certainly Edinburgh have that and they'll certainly go into the those semi finals not as favourites but with a bit of confidence that actually if they play well they can potentially cause an upset when it comes to it. I think there's a different identity to the way Edinburgh play rugby under Richard Cockrell. Uh, you compare that to Glasgow, what Gregor Townsend did in this more expansive brand of rugby that um, now with Adam Hastings playing at 10 and is, is something they're, they're looking to continue. But it's much more close to the chess brand of rugby uh, that, that Richard Cockrell, you know, and unsurprisingly with his background that he's employed. And when we when I remember speaking to Stuart McAnally off, off the air when we spoke to him a couple of months ago, talking about the difference of playing from Edinburgh to, to playing for Scotland, the various different styles. And, and Richard Cockrell has found a style in a group of players that, that complement each other and, and is being successful. And, and in a world where sport seems to get more and more expansive and more and more on the offensive side of things, it, it's nice to see that, you know, just doing the fundamentals really, really well and, and, and being a more physical uh, team uh, can pay dividends. Yeah, for sure. And you, you mentioned Richard Cockrell's background there, and you certainly see kind of the identity that he created at Leicester during his kind of great reign there, and, and the way they dominated English rugby under his reign. There's certainly elements of that identity in that Edinburgh side, and it's paying dividends clearly, and it's been very successful in Edinburgh. First Pro 14 semi final coming up against Ulster, and fingers crossed that they can do well. Can you can you see them doing well? You know, we, we've talked about, we've just spoken there that. 
Edinburgh have gone past Glasgow uh, in terms of Glasgow have been very much the more dominant club force in Scotland for a while. Within that time, Glasgow have won Pro 14s mm-hmm. and they've and they've got to, to finals. Edinburgh have, have had fleeting visits to Heineken Cup semi-finals and things in the past, but never really actually shown any dominance to go and win it. Ulster next, obviously Munster's the other side of the, the draw. You always got Leinster and their Scarlets are still in the hunt, I believe. So this Edinburgh side, can they actually, you know, emulate what their their M8 rivals have done and gone and actually win something? I mean, I certainly think that, I mean, it's going to be tough. As I said, as you mentioned, there's some brilliant teams in it. Leicester have absolutely dominated their conference this year and had a fantastic season. And they'll certainly be the team to beat. And obviously, if it is Munster who get through, then we know how good Munster are when it comes down to these big crunch games. So that, that would be another brilliant and difficult game for them if, if that comes to it in the end as well. So I think, I mean, it's going to be very, very difficult. But with the brand that they've developed of this, as you said, more close to chess, but also this kind of ability and this knowledge of how to win tight games. And I said, they have. It looks like they are going to go through top of the conference. So, I mean, they have outshone the other teams in their conference and was something that nobody would have predicted they do. So I don't think it's certainly out of the question of them winning. And Richard Cockcross come out and said that he believes they can win it, which, of course, he has got to say. But you do think, well, there's an element of truth there that they they do know how to win these tight games now, whether they'll be able to, get to do it be able to do it against the very best of the Pro 14 in Euro- European rugby. We'll just have to wait and see. be intriguing to see. I'm, I'm delighted that there's some rugby back in the Northern Hemisphere, Rugby Union, and it's, it's great to see. We've got uh, another guest joining us this week. This week we're joined by Scotland cricket captain, uh, Kyle Kutzer. Kyle who's also was awarded the ICC Associate Batter of the Year for 2019 last year, as well as played county cricket for, for Durham and Northamptonshire. Uh, he's going to give us some insights of what the world of, of international and county cricket is, is like and some fascinating conversations to be had there. But before we get on to him, uh, and probably leading on from what we were talking about from the Pro 14 Edinburgh story there, Rory, of making the finals and whether they can actually make it, is... We've come out of the side of a pandemic and we've, we'd like to see sports come back. And there was this big thing made about no fans in the stands and what impact that's going to have. We're getting to the stage now where either new seasons are starting, like in football here in the, in, in the, in the UK and around Europe. We're getting to finals like we're seeing in the NBA, uh, basketball over in, in America. We're getting to finals now like we're seeing in the rugby union. And I'm just wondering, as an overall sort of concept, if you kind of look, and we actually look now of of what, not necessarily you're not having no fans in, but just the general concept of no home advantage. Because I put it to you that, yes, as fantastic as Leinster are, as fantastic as the LA Lakers have been this year in the NBA, as fantastic as Liverpool were last year winning the league at Cantor, how all those teams are teams that have a real brand, have a real identity, have a real strong fan base that you know if you go into a home environment in any of those environments, that being Leinster, the LA Lakers and Liverpool, that you can be behind the eight ball very quickly in playing catch-up. You can be 3-0 down in Anfield like that because that Anfield crowds and the, and the cop and everything else could just put an opposition in so much, you know, the atmosphere is so much behind the home team that before you know it, blink and know it's gone. You can say this about Leinster, you know, when you go over to Dublin and you play there. We think about these arenas of of noise. And 
you know, we look at what's happening in the, in the basketball, the, the Lakers, who are the number one seed in their conference uh, in the West, you know, very much top of the tree in the, in the regular season. First game of the postseason, round one, they lose. Okay, they've, they've clawed it back and they, they now have a 3-1 lead. But it was all about how the Lakers are this dominant force. Are we now at a stage where Liverpool start the season without fans in the in Anfield? Leinster are going into finals rugby without fans. The NBA is playing in this bubble dome environment in Orlando. Whereas, so you, you so during the regular season, you've done all this work to get a home playoff final, to get your home fans behind you. That's now gone because it's a sterile environment. How is this impacting what we actually going to expect? Are these big teams and these big favourites as big favourites as we used to being? Or, or is this a time when we go into starting new seasons? We've got the NFL season starting in a couple of weeks, the Premiership starting again, La Liga be starting again. All these places. Will it be a case that actually we're in for a really, really weird set of results, especially first half or some of these seasons, and then what that looks like when, as and when fans come back, whether whether that's good, what sort of impact that's going to have, and is it going to sort of balance the the ship or not? Yeah, I think it's a really fair point. And just, I mean, while we're on the topic, I think it's important to note that we talked about that Edinburgh Glasgow game that was played at Murrayfield on Saturday, that was officially Glasgow's home tie being played at Edinburgh Stadium, which is, again, a really weird paradox. I mean, I don't think for them that is as big of a deal because so many of those Glasgow players are used to playing for Scotland with Murrayfield as a home stadium and they're very used to that environment. So I don't know if how much for those two teams it will have changed loads, but for, for certainly creating situations like that is certainly a very interesting and different kind of turn of events that's happening within sport. Um I mean, yeah, I think it's certainly going to make a difference. I mean, you mentioned Liverpool there. We've seen, and I know there's more than just this, the fan circumstances, but we've seen how Liverpool have struggled, struggled when they came back from the break and they kind of went into the break having lost only one game all season and they actually lost a number of games in the second half. Now, obviously, there's a number of things like having already had the league wrapped up so early and maybe not having that same level of intensity because they knew they had won. But the, but at the same time, as you were asked, if they're playing in front of a packed Anfield who demand intensity from their players whether they would have been allowed to slip off the pace in the same way, you feel like potentially not because they wouldn't have been allowed to do so from the fans who would have not accepted that from their team. I know their Champions League campaign didn't go as they like, but we saw Man City absolutely polarise teams since they came back from the break because the brand of football they play very suits this kind of almost training game style environment that we've seen a bit with the return of football. So I think certainly it's going to play a different advantage on, on some teams compared to others. And I said, uh, the team you didn't mention was Munster. Obviously, Munster are right in the thick of it, trying to get into that semi-final and potentially could get into that semi-final. And Munster is probably one of the traditionally most difficult places to go in European sport, period. I mean, Munster very, very, very rarely lose at home, no matter who they're playing. And that's why they have been so successful in both Pro 14 and in European competitions when they get those home draws. It, they're almost impossible to beat and obviously without that that kind of red army behind them are they going to be the same force going to Munster I think most teams would be much happier to go to Munster without fans put it that way say so I think it's going to totally change the dynamic yeah I mean and you look at the Champions League there's been some calls from some corners that that this sort of knockout style of competition is one-off games is something that should be implemented Going forward, um, it's not possible. I don't think until 2025, I think I saw because of TV deals and, and commercial deals and partnerships, etc. But But again, it, you know, when when you look at sort of 
cup competitions that have league formats within them at some point, you have to put some value on coming up, coming top. You have to put some value and you're giving, and therefore getting you know, home advantage, etc. And, and it plays such a, such a big part. Um, and I, and I just wonder if, you know, is 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 the next season? Everyone's talking about putting asterisks beside various titles in 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 twenty nineteen, beginning of twenty twenty. Is that going to be the case in twenty twenty one as well? I mean, it certainly looks like this. No one expects it to go away, but it but it isn't going away. And and it's just really fascinating to me that you know, everyone talks about having no fans, so the atmosphere isn't the same. And because we were coming back for the most parts to leagues that had already in competitions already been happening, it was it was less of an, an issue because a lot of those scenarios, the outcome had pretty much been decided or close to being decided. You know, even teams like going down in the Premier League, there was, you know, it was between six or seven teams, but it wasn't suddenly going to be a big change of it. Whereas now getting into finals football, which we just had in the Champions League and the, in the Europa Cup, getting into finals of Pro 14 rugby, that really is going to have have an impact when push comes to shove. Yeah, but at the same time, Ali, you, we, we bickered a few weeks ago because you felt like in terms of the spectacle and terms of creating the energy, it was up to the players to do so, whether there was fans or not. And I think this maybe comes from it the same the same way. I think that, I mean, we all, people joke and talk about the, the dreaded asterisks, but I think coming into the new season, the, the fans are going to have a level playing field. The side the players are going to have a level playing field, and it is going to be the same for every team in every scenario. And it is just going to be down to them as professionals who get paid a lot of money, and people talk about that a lot. But it is their job to excel at their sport. It is down to them to find a way to create an environment that they can still be successful within this new fan-free environment, and create a way for them to be the best team. And I think that we will see actually which of these great sporting dynasties are the best because the best teams will find a way to win even without fans, even without home support. They will they will find a way to G themselves up, to give themselves the motivations to put the performance in that is required to win. Simple as. I mean, we've seen Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich winning the Champions League and everyone's saying that Bayern Munich are hands down the best team in Europe and potentially one of the best teams that we've seen in the past 20 years in Europe at the moment. They came back from the break and they didn't lose a single game. And they came back with the exact same intensity, the exact same product and the exact same result that they had before the league shut down and potentially got even better. So it didn't affect them at all. So you, and, and that proves the quality of that side. And I think that is what we're going to have to see is that teams are going to have to be good enough to adapt. I mean, what is maybe the even more interesting conversation is they talk about fans coming back in in October, but only home fans and at a distance. And that's going to look differently across every single stadium. And then how maybe that might create a disparity for some teams against others or or some teams that have really good away support. There's going to be no away fans and maybe teams also rely on that away support a bit. So then that's going to create a new conundrum again. So it is going to be totally different kind of throughout the year and it's going to constantly change. But I think it does come down to the players at the end of the day to be good enough to, no matter what circumstances, produce performances that are going to win them games. Yeah, you know, and, and let's, let's be honest about well, a couple of weeks ago, what I said was that putting random different events and making things look difficult to try and make it more entertaining was a complete bit of nonsense because it's down to the athletes themselves to make it entertaining. It was nothing to do with kind of around, it's down to them to, to, of course, either way they need to be out there performing. 
it's nothing to do with that. It was to do with we don't need to put extra stupid things around it to try and make it more entertaining. We just let the product on the pitch, inside the ring, whatever it might be, do its talking. I completely agree with you about saying it's down to the, the players and the coaches and the managers and the, everyone around sports to, to, to find a way to, to make themselves successful. Uh, of course it will. But it, will it be harder? Will it be harder for the Liverpool players to, to play that high-pressing, high-tempo, high-energy brand of football that they are they do are used to in front of 50,000, 60,000 people, you know, galvanising them through providing this hostile environment? I would imagine it, it will be. That doesn't mean they're not going to try I wouldn't have thought they're going to try any less I wouldn't have thought it's going to change anything there'll be still be some of the best players but you just you almost wonder if if teams you know there's been a bit of a joke for for a while you, know, you look at places like the Emirates or Old Trafford which are a bit more sterile because of the uh, amount of tourists that come and you know go to these games and is that gonna if that's the case are these teams going to be less likely you know to be affected by it you know it's the little things but it just really intrigues me that you know, the, the big one that intrigued me was when I first thought about this was you know the Lakers, who were you know lauded over being the best team in in the NBA at the moment. First game lose, you know, and if that's in LA in front of their home crowd, well, I just don't think that happens, you know. So it just it really intrigues me to see um, to see where this will go. Also intrigues me saw this week is that Phil. Nicholson has decided to finally join, well, finally, but join the Champions Tour. And uh, and he's certainly working his favour. He's, he's leading the way uh, in, in day one. And um, it's, it's, it's weird to me to see the likes of Phil Nicholson, who for us growing up have been sort of the anchors and, and great figures of a sport we follow, uh, now get into a stage where they're playing on the, on, the, on the Champions Tour. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about how the, young, the younger generation of, of golfers are, are coming are coming through with your, your Justin Thomases and your Rory McIlroys and just where golf is now, it's it's really exciting. But it's also quite sad. And also to see that Phil is now of an age to do that. But the fact he's still competing, the fact he's still getting top 10s, top 20s in the PGA Tour and then can go and pop on the Champions Tour and look to win that. Well, it's just, it's just I don't think, if he played in another era that didn't have Tiger Woods, I think we'd be having different conversations about Phil Mickelson. It's funny because it's just so unique to golf that this can happen. There's no other competition that you could like be still competing at the top professional level, but then also be competing at the seniors level. Like, there's no other sport like it. Like, you couldn't see like snooker. snooker but I guess is snooker. Is there even a championships tour? Champions tour I'm, snooker. I, I, That's I what we need to find out. It wouldn't surprise me, but I don't know of one. But yeah, well, maybe we'll see Ronnie appear on that shortly. But. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so unique. And I think certainly with Phil, I mean, I don't blame him. He maybe he just wants the opportunity to get a bit of silverware because he seems to be doing pretty well on that champion store. And, and yes, he has been competing in the PGA, but hasn't won for a while. And, and I guess just opportunity to play more golf at the end of the day and, and maybe play with, bring back some old rivalries with some old friends that he used to compete with back in the day. But yeah, it does seem mad that Phil is now of that age. And I think this could potentially be the sign that we're not going to be seeing Phil Mickelson for too much longer. I mean, I think he'll always still appear, whether it's even just more towards major championship things rather than on the tour more generally. But it certainly seems like it is the beginning of the end of that kind of era of golfer. I don't, I don't know if it is. I mean, for him specifically, I mean, he came back out of lockdown. He had this new look with his aviators on. <laughs> you know, he, he was trying to sort of, I don't know, have a bit more of a, 
a little bit more of a density. He's always had an identity, but he's always had that personality. But I ask you the question again. I don't know if you deliberately avoided this or just or just got to what says is uh, if Tiger Woods hadn't been around at the same time as Phil Mickelson, would the world of golf look at Phil Mickelson any differently? Would he have won more? Would he have been lauded up there higher? Well, I, I think that's two different questions. I think yes, he potentially would have, he would have won more, but I don't know whether he'd have been looked at differently. I think that he's very, still very, very well respected and very, and I think he is up there as one of the best. And I think I don't know that's whether, but like the way he played the game and the, what he did with his short game and the shots that he played that other players just couldn't play certainly gave him a profile. But I think certainly for me, Phil will always be one of the best. I don't think that Tiger being there or not will change that, and because I don't. Unless he would have gone and won in 17 majors like Tiger did, and I don't think he would have been that good. He might have won eight or 10 or something, which would have been great. But I don't think he would have been up there with Nicholas, even if without Tiger. So I don't think he, he he would have been viewed as much of a legend as he is now. I mean, the other way that I would put it is that if Tiger Woods at his pomp was playing now, would he have won so much with the amount of talent that now exists on the tour with the young players? We see how they come in able to win from word dot. Saw Morikawa do that just a few weeks ago. So actually, would Tiger have, I mean, Tiger still would have won lots, I'm not saying that, but would he have won as much now as he did 10 years ago with how good the standard is on in the PGA Tour? That's, I guess, maybe the other way to look at the question. I, I, I disagree. I, I think if Tiger had come at a different era, like, like now, say, where it seems to be, and maybe it wouldn't be the case if Tiger came along, but it seems to be the top of the game it has a greater expanse of players, then I think Phil would have potentially won double digits. I really do. I really think it's good. And I think if we, if we, you know, think in 20, you know, if we look in 20 years' time or whatever else, people will still talk about Nicholas. People will still talk about Gary Player. They'll still talk about Palmer. You know, they'll still talk about those who are top of the tree in terms of majors that have won. And these are all people who have won, you know, more than seven majors you know and obviously Nicholas and Woods are at, are at the top of that Phil has only won five and in that time I say only won five but in that time he's only won five the vast 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 majority of them were won by this absolute superstar of the game who you know some people arguably say well, could never be matched so if, he, if Phil came along now or Phil came along before that. Would would he would he have been that? And I just think that as as golf moves on, and and the annals of time move on with golf, he's is he just going to kind of fall into another name of, yeah, he was a major champion, yeah, he was reasonably good, yeah, he had a bit of flair in and around the greens. But I think he's better. I mean, he's fifty years old, and you know we talked a couple of weeks about Ronnie O'Sullivan saying, oh, if I didn't have an arm and a leg and a whatever, I'd still be in the top fifty. You know, Phil Mickelson is up there in world rankings, 50 years old, in a time when we are saying that it's the best young generation of young golfers. And a, and a man in his 50s is still there. Surely that doesn't speak to the talent. And surely if he was around at another time, he would have won more majors. And then and then he is winning the same number as maybe not a, a Woods or a Nicholas. But is he winning as much as a Palmer? Is he winning as much as a player? Is he mean as much as a Tom Watson? You know, these types of good people. And I I think when people talk about the greats, I worry that he will not be seen quite in that light. I mean, I think 
certainly I would put him alongside of Tom Watson. I mean, that's how he'll sit in my head, so maybe that's why I'm doing it this way. But I, he certainly would have won more, but I certainly don't think he's going to be considered as good as a Woods or a Nicholas, and maybe that's why I'm comparing him too much. Because although he was brilliant, there's always been slight elements to his game that haven't quite been weren't quite good enough for him to compete with Tiger. There was always things like his ability to control the ball off the tee, etc., that meant he wasn't quite as good as Tiger was, and that was the facts. But he was certainly the next best. And therefore, for me, that does put him in the same light as Watson and and, and all those lots. I would say, I would say, I mean, I'd consider some like player as just above Watson, but certain, so maybe not up to where player was, but certainly, yeah, as, as those great golfers in the game. And I think he will always be remembered as such for not just for what he won, but for what he did, for what he presents, for his longevity, for his Ryder Cup success, for all these things. I think that he will be remembered as such. Yeah, I do. I, I do get what you're saying, but. Again, I just think, you know, you look at now, you look at what's happened in the last calendar year, the number of people who have been world number one in, in, in John Ram, Dustin Johnson, Justin Rose might have been there or thereabouts for a while, Jordan Spieth has been, Roy McElroy. You know, these guys, the, the, the world number one ranking is being banded around. Phil Mickelson, who has won more majors than the majority of those players, has never been world number one. Has never been world number one. So again, I don't know if it's just our bias because we like him, but I, I, that's what is. You look back; he has never, he has never been world number one. Now, if you take him at a time when Tiger Woods isn't there, okay, and I think, I think it's two hundred and seventy weeks he was world number two. Two hundred and seventy weeks. That is quick maths. That's 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 at least four years. Five years. Five years. Five years he's been world number two. Any other period of history of golf, I mean, I, I can't remember, obviously, I wasn't around when Nicholas, Nicholas was around. But I, I just suggest that any other period of golf, for him to have someone of that quality to have won the majors he's done and finished second the number of times he's gone, to have never been world number one, that is why I want worry that he won't be remembered. And not because he wasn't. He shouldn't be remembered, or he, he wasn't good enough to be the world's best golfer, but just he was at a time when he came along with the greatest there's ever been. Yeah, I mean, that that's incredible. I, I hadn't appreciated that he'd never been world number one. That is certainly slightly eye-opening. And I guess it just you just got to trust people's memories of him. I think a lot of the time, actually, what, what sticks with people isn't the stats, it's the memories. And I think there's certainly things in his career that people will always remember. That, that shot from the Pines short, the, the Masters, Will always go down in, in in people's memories, and there will be moments like that that people will remember Phil for. And it's not people won't remember the fact that he was never world number one. People will remember what he won. So you got to hope that that is enough to to give him the place in in kind of golfing history that he deserves because he does deserve it. And I guess only time will tell. And uh, and as ever, there's there's lots of memories that do happen throughout the course of a golfing week. And here's some other other news stories that have happened. The utility players weekly roundup. In golf this week, Sophia Popoff won the Women's British Open in Truton. Starting the week at 304th in the world, she was certainly an outside shot, but made history by winning her first major championship. Staying in golf, uh, Dustin Johnson won the Northern Trust Trophy this week, taking himself back to world number one. That's three out of the last six tournaments where Dustin has either finished first or second. In cricket, James Anderson has become the first ever seam bowler to take 600 test wickets. An amazing feat, and it comes as England look like they're going to win the series 1-0 in a rain-delayed final test. 
And finally, in the NFL, this week there were 77 false positive cases within the coronavirus testing system, which is worrying signs as the NFL tries to nail down its final formula to make sure that everyone's safe on game day. Uh, this week, uh, we are very privileged to be joined by an international cricketer, Kyle Kutzer, Scotland captain, uh, Scotland's all-time leading run scorer, as well as uh, ICC Associate Batter of the Year for 2019. Kyle's also played county cricket for Durham and Northamptonshire in England, as well as playing in a number of franchise tournaments around the world, T20 tournaments. Kyle, thanks very much for spending some time with us. Oh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the, the, the chat and, um, yeah, and what it brings. First thing, before we delve into it, um, I saw on your Twitter handle that uh, you're called Mere Goose 11 Can you give us some explanation of, of what, what's behind a particular uh, Twitter handle? Uh, it's a good question. I, I'm trying to remember myself, actually. Uh, it goes back, <laughs> goes back a number of years. I, I basically think Durham were playing at Scarborough, and Scarborough is known as a seaside sort of uh, English resort in, in some ways, but th- th- they've got a really nice cricket venue there. And I think in the evenings, the, the players, the Durham players, probably got a bit, bit, uh, bit bored and went past the, the grabbers, you know, as they call them down there, and put a few coins in and picked out, picked out this meerkat um, out, of, out of one of the grabbers, and they decided that was me. And it, it just evolved I don't, it's a meerkat. I don't know why it evolved a mere goose, but it came around that way, you know, just a, a change of change of words. And, and it just kind of stuck, to be honest. And I've had that same same soft toy in my cricket bag ever since. So it's been all around the world. Oh, so, so that, so, so the, the, that meerkat soft is, is still in the cricket bag how many years later? Yeah, I mean, we're talking, we're talking good 12, 12 years, I guess. I'm just, I'm just guessing. So it's, uh, it's, it's been through the, the run of the mill. It's been put on dartboards. It's been left behind. It. We left, we left it behind at Canterbury once, and uh, it got then got kidnapped and put up for ransom from Ben Harmison, who was an old friend of mine. <laughs> was still, still an old friend of mine, and and he had it on Cricket AM. I don't know if you ever remember Cricket AM. Oh yes, yes. It, it, it was on there, and and all of a sudden these tweets of him putting the meerkat in various different places. It became sort of public knowledge, and it started getting shown all over Cricket AM in one episode, which was quite entertaining. So he's in the frying pan and on the on the <laughs> on the dartboard and being drowned and all sorts of of, of random stuff. But um, one of the best places I ever saw it put in was the North Ants guys cut the lid off the top of a one liter Coke bottle, and they put it in there and filled it full of water and put it in the freezer. The next day, I came back; it was just on my seat. And I sort of scraped down the side of the water bottle and I could see this frozen meerkat in the middle of it, which was quite entertaining. So it took, it took an entire day to defrost, actually. So, <laughs> so I mean, Ali mentioned there, uh, Scotland's top run score and you've been in some good form for the past few years. Has, has it been the, getting the meerkat that has increased your form and allowed you to play the best cricket of your life by having, by having the meerkat? And when the meerkat eventually does get damaged beyond repair, is that when you know it's time to retire? Uh, without doubt, it's been his doing he has he's done all the hard graft behind the scenes he's taken all the the beatings and the the seen all the frustrations and he, he happens to have, have uh, lost an eye actually recently so I'm a bit disappointed with that but yeah he's just a he's just something that just puts a smile on some people's faces anyway when things are a bit tough and he tends to get the the wrath of it at times not always not recently um but yeah you know I've been very fortunate with my cricket to it to have gone the way it has done and, and played in some, some nice places and, and, and played in some exciting games and some, 
some successful teams. So, you know, I, you know, I'm very grateful for all of that. And the Meerkat's played his part. He's been part of the journey. Brilliant. Well, I mean, as you said, the Meerkat's been around the world with you. And as I alluded to earlier, you know, you've been very fortunate to play all around the world at an international level, uh, as well as domestic and franchise level. You know, someone who's had the opportunity to experience all those tournaments, you know, what's kind of stood out? Do you have a, a preference of, you know, the, the, the different tournaments you experience, different type of competitions, you know, with the way that the world of cricket's going, uh, with more and more of these franchise tournaments popping up, you know, competing with international cricket, you know, what's your take on that? And, and what have you enjoyed most in your, your time with your cricket career so far? Yeah, there's been, uh, cricket is one of these sports that certainly has a lot more low points than, than high points. So it's, it's about trying to, uh, the, the guys in the squad probably get bored of me saying it, but I do say something along the lines of riding the wave in, in some shape or form. And you certainly have to do that within your career. You know, like I said, more downs than ups, but when you are in the ups, you want to make that last as long as you possibly can. So uh, I've enjoyed my times in franchise tournaments. I found a method in my career, especially towards the back end uh, of being able to accept that I just want to play my cricket and really, really enjoy it because before you know it, it'll be over. And, and that, that in some way freed me up to play a style of cricket, which has made me possibly more successful in the back end of my career and a, and a more dangerous player and a more consistent player. Uh, you know, if there's any way of teaching players to to find that sort of freedom earlier you know if we could do that you know it's like it's, that would be a huge opening for anyone but it's not always that easy and and you know it probably took me to the ripe age of late back end of my 20s early 30s to find that and you know that's probably too late really for for most but I I've got to say playing at World Cups has probably been been some of the the highlights I've had but you can never beat pulling on a, a Scotland shirt in my eyes. I've been very fortunate to play for various counties and, and different franchise teams. But when you pull that Scotland shirt on, it, it means means that little bit more. Uh, but the, the tournaments that I've played the most in will have been uh, qualifying tournaments. You know, some we've got through, some we haven't. Those are high, high energy, very intense game after game, sometimes uh, one game day followed by another game day and you've just got to get yourself up for every game which isn't hard to get yourself up but it's tiring at times but those tournaments are the the most intense you know world cups are great and you know we push ourselves to win every game no matter who the opposition but world cups uh qualifying tournaments sorry are just you know you can't describe to people you know who don't go through these tournaments what what the what the pressure is and what it feels like and the relief when you get through at times so I've got to say they're they're probably they're probably the the, the highlight when you do qualify because it means so much to you the players and and everyone else back at home yeah I'm sure I'm sure that most people can relate to that I think so we've got the unfortunate thing though a lot of, with cricket now and a lot for a lot of cricket fans is that when people look at cricket they'd often the, the nations they think of and jump to straight away are England, Australia, India, Pakistan, West Indies. A lot of cricket fans, especially from obviously around the world, don't think of the kind of cricket that's played in places like Scotland and Ireland and, and the Netherlands and the more associate nations. I mean, as your experience as a very experienced Scotland player and Scotland captain, how do you think life as an international cricketer for an associate nation compares to life as an international cricketer for one of the top, more well-known full member nations? I think I think the 
you know, clearly fixtures and the amount of games you play is is an obvious difference. But I think I think the challenges that are faced by an associate cricketer probably more often not come around uh, preparation, uh, what facilities you have in your 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 environment to to prepare. You're often scraping the bottom of the barrel to to almost to make sure that you can put enough things in place to to give your team every opportunity to perform. And then, for example, you may go on a tour, which is a vitally important one, and you have to win a game in three days' time. You arrive there three days before you've got to win a game, and you get maybe one practice and a, and a practice match in that space, and you've got to, you've got to be on the money to, to win the game in the next day. So, so the, there's very rarely any games that don't have any huge meaning on them. I'm not saying that the... the, the higher ranked sides don't have any meaning in their games because they certainly do. But in terms of making sure you qualify for tournaments, there's, there's pretty much every single game we play in has an impact on where we'll be going in the future. So you have to be able to, to perform at short notice. We may go from, we may go from uh, training indoor. Uh, we've been lucky enough to use uh, Mary Erskine School and, and Feta's School to to get in there, but we go from there to straight out to Dubai in completely different conditions, and we've got to find a way to perform. So that would be my biggest uh, theory on on what I think the, the challenges are. You know, there's a number of challenges, but yeah, but then also at the same time, I guess I mean I, I can imagine that's a massive challenges, and it's very different to you kind of see England going out to the Ashes six months before playing loads and loads of training games and getting used to the conditions, and, and I guess circumstance dictates that they can do that, but. At the same time, over the years, we've seen some very high-profile performances and results and, and victories from associate nations, whether it's been Ireland at the World Cup, whether it was yourselves beating England a few years ago. So as well as it is difficult, there's very exciting times for associate nations going forward. And we've obviously seen Ireland and Afghanistan become test match nations recently. And I guess what what is it that associate nations can do to ensure that these these successes and, and these and these great days being the top teams can happen more regularly and, and develop so that they can be competitive more often in the future and, and play at more major tournaments. Yeah, I, I think I think against all odds, at times um, the associate nations are are developing. Yeah, it's clear to see that the, the gaps are narrowing. The gaps are narrowing, uh, and we would be one of the I guess so called higher ranked uh, associate nations uh, currently. Uh, but I'm certainly certainly noticing, and I think we are as a team, that other teams are closing that gap. And our gap between the so-called full members and associates, we believe that that gap is also closing. Uh, and, th- and that's against almost all odds sometimes, because it almost sometimes feels as if, as if we, we don't get the backing from the ICC. You know, you see these tournaments... There, there being smaller numbers involved in these tournaments and 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 it heading towards a a T twenty heavy uh, direction to develop other teams, other countries around the world. And yeah, I guess there's there's nothing hugely wrong with that idea. More opportunities and and spreading the game globally is the most important thing. But my view on the whole uh, scenario is yes, Test cricket. How long is that going to last? You know, we hope it stays a part of the game for for years and years and years. Um, is it a viable option? I don't know. The, the, the people above our heads have got to make those calls. But in terms of where we sit as, as, uh, as Scotland, as, as in my opinion, is 
playing an ODI World Cup is the pinnacle, as far as I'm concerned, and is what I think the ICC and I think other teams should really appreciate that. People want to play ODI World Cups. You look back and England winning the recent ODI World Cup. I think these are the, the, the biggest tournaments. Winning the T20 is great. Playing in a T20 is great. And the competition's brilliant. It's high energy, full of action. But I think the best teams, and no disrespect to any team who's won a T20 World Cup because they're all fantastic teams, but I think 50 over World Cup for teams like ourselves are the pinnacle. That's my opinion. And... Um, we want to see that game spread as far and, and as wide as you can and, and, being, and having more teams within those tournaments. So obviously cricket has its three formats, as only cricket can. For, you, for yourself, do you have a, 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 a favourite one, either as a player? Um, I know that you, you haven't played test cricket. We play a lot of first-class four-day cricket, both for Scotland and, and county uh, teams. Do you have a preference as a player or, or as a fan spectating on the side? Is the one that stands out to you that, that you think is the, the best or the purest or the most enjoyable? Uh, it's always interesting to know sort of where cricketers themselves sort of view these different formats. Yeah, you, I think you, your views might change uh, throughout a, a career a little bit. You know, I never expected my career to go maybe the way it has done, uh, especially with the, the white ball I, I sort of fully expect myself to just be more of a four-day, a red ball cricketer. And, and for various reasons, um, you know, in the environment and, and whatnot, that my, my game changed a bit. But for me, saying the 50, a 50 over World Cup is a pinnacle, I think for me playing ODI cricket, ODI cricket is my definitely my, my preferred format. You know, I enjoy the others, but 50 over cricket for me. A big part of that is obviously that Scotland at the moment have had the opportunity to be a test playing nation yet um, and obviously a lot of people do see test cricket to maybe be still the pinnacle even though as you've alluded to that is certainly changing if Scotland were eventually given that opportunity now I know I appreciate that might not be for a while do you think it would potentially change and you think for a nation like Scotland that test cricket would become the pinnacle or is it the way that it works now that it's always going to be white ball 50 over uh, cricket is going to be the pinnacle for Scotland yeah I guess who who knows who knows what the next couple of years will bring? There seems to be, seems to be, you know, a changing uh, culture around cricket, and you know, there's a lot of diehard cricket fans, and I, you know, I love watching Test cricket, and because I, I guess that's the ultimate challenge, isn't it, for for a player's uh, mental strength and technical ability to manage the the moving ball. And, and bat for long periods of time and bowlers to be able to come back on the fifth day to bowl a side out. But yeah, I, I just, yeah, f- f- for me, 50 over cricket is where I see us going. If there was an opportunity to play test match cricket, you know, that would be a huge thing, a huge opportunity. You know, guys would jump at that with two hands, you know, and be desperate to to take that on. I I think, you know, you have to be thrust in and put into that position to make sure people are, are prepping for, for that. And I don't think there's a, I don't really think there's a direction um, from the ICC to make us feel as if five, uh, test match cricket is a, is a viable option at the moment. Uh, I just, I, I don't see whether any teams in our position are, are seeing that as a viable option. But who's to say that full member status includes test match cricket? I don't know. Who's to say it will? Yeah, that's a very good point and maybe one that people haven't thought about. I mean, we've certainly alluded to that 
there is a lot of potential within the associate nations um, and we've mentioned the ability of associate nations to, to beat bull member nations what needs to happen now either from the ICC or internally within cricket in Scotland to potentially to take Scottish cricket to the next step I think a lot of people who are in the know in Scottish cricket knows there is a huge amount of talent and passion for the game here in Scotland, which people maybe don't give it credit for at times, but what needs to happen to, yeah, take cricket in Scotland to the next step and maybe show people from out with Scotland that there's loads of great things going on and actually cricket in Scotland is something that needs to be taken seriously. Yeah, you're, you're, you're completely right. There's, there's a lot more cricket played and a lot more talent around the country and, and, uh, around the various various associate nations there's a lot of talented cricketers around the world and and they get unnoticed i guess internally for for cricket in scotland i think there needs to probably be a push to to play create a level above club cricket which you know cricket scotland are pushing with the regional tournament at the moment and i think that's that's the right direction i think the next step would be to find a way that uh, the regional cricket is the the primary top level of cricket in the country, and then it filters down to down to club cricket. But I, I sense that there's a feel at the moment that uh, clubs, and I could be wrong with this, you know, because I haven't gone around asking and speaking to anyone. But I sense that uh, clubs might feel that uh, club cricket would struggle if that was that was the case. So there needs to be a a, a bit of a give take in there somehow and create. Some kind of festival weeks that that there there isn't club cricket on a Saturday, and the, the best club players will want to come and watch and and see the highlight of the season. I know it's been done around the world and in different places over the years for a long time, but you want to make the regional cricket or that kind of form uh, the the pinnacle, and uh, you want to see the best players playing against the best, and and a and a competitive competition in there. And I, essentially, you're creating your own list A or a version of county cricket within the within the country. But uh, I think you need the buy-in from the clubs to make that a really viable option. And we've talked a lot about cricket in Scotland and, and what, what's going to happen with the Scotland team and the associate teams going forward. But turning more to yourself now, Kyle, obviously you've, you've had you had a great career. You're 36 now. You've, you've captained your country. You've played at World Cups in both T20 and ODI format. And instead you've managed to play a lot of county cricket as well, I guess. What is there left for you now to really try and achieve uh, over the next few years? And what is it that's motivating you to stay within the game and, and to keep practicing and keep improving yourself and keep working hard to, to make yourself the best you can be? What's your motivations and, and what would be a success for you the way, looking at what's going to happen in the next few years? Yeah, there's still plenty to do. There's still loads to do as far as I'm concerned. You know, I've got huge motivation to still play play in an NA World Cup and hopefully a couple because there's opportunity if, if we play well and we qualify. But the World Cup we were meant to be going to in the next two or three months and that's sadly been been delayed. So uh, we'll have to wait another another year and, and I've got to make sure I'm in the best position possible to make sure I can make that team and, and travel travel with the with the squad. But I think ultimately I, I, I want to see the, the group of players we have right now and the, the, the players coming through in Scotland, I want to see them uh, be left in a, in a better place and, and be in a position that we can really challenge to um, become that full member. If the opportunity comes around, we need to be playing as, as good cricket as possible and, and beating, beating uh, the so-called um, higher-ranked sides. So 
that, that that's it for me you know it's it's really about the team but the little bit about me is you know I'd, I'd like to play in another world cup you know i had one of some of the best experiences of my life playing in some of these world cups but you know that's not just going to drop in front of me i've got to i've got to do the the hard work that everyone else is doing as well and make sure i'm ready to go the other thing i would quite like to do actually that i've never done is i've never won the northeast premier league down in durham so i'm desperate to win that i'm not kidding so we're we're currently sitting top of the uh, top of the our group in the in the altered cup competition that we have and we're playing playing against South Northumberland. So I play for Benwell Hill Cricket Club and we're playing against South Northumberland on Saturday and it's a big grudge match. So um, I'm desperate to win that. It's something I've never done. So it would be great to, great to come away with that this season. Well, it's great to hear that um, cricketers who have played in the highest competition in the world are still so passionate about their club doing well and their club winning. I'm sure that club cricketers across the country will, will be loving to hear that you're still so passionate about your club. So that's great to hear. <laughs> And I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind taking on Carlton again for a bit of a rematch. That would be quite good. Or <laughs> any any touring teams from Scotland who want to come down, feel free. We'll uh, we'll we'll put you up and we'll we'll have a have a good game. I'm sure I'm I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. Well, talking of of grudge matches and talk about ultimate tests, it's it's time for you to run the uh, utility players' gauntlet of questions. So uh, you've got you in part of your preparation and your nerves for Saturday. We're going to give you 45 seconds of random lightning questions that could be about anything. Are you are you ready to see how you get on? Yes, let's go for it. Right. Okay. It's now time to run the gauntlet. Best chocolate in a celebration box. Dairy milk. What room was there? Room on the door for both Rose and Jack in Titanic. No idea. I don't know. Favorite cuisine. Uh, lasagna. Family Guy or South Park. Family Guy. Did Carol Baskin kill her husband? Yes. Donald Duck never wore trousers, but when he out of the bath, he always had a towel around his waist. Why? Just to dry his feathers out. Seafood on a pizza, is that okay? Yes. Can you name the seven dwarves? Not, no, no, I should, but no. Messi or Ronaldo? Uh, Messi. You, you're in the zone there, Carl. You were very, like, switched on, focused on the job. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I was just, I was desperate to just get some answers out. And I went cuisine and I said lasagna instead of, like, like <laughs> pie or something. I was going to pick up on that. I didn't realize there was a whole food genre just for one dish. <laughs> I know, I know. Or Italian or, and I just went lasagna. See, to be fair, lasagna is so good, it could definitely be a cuisine by itself. So I, I don't have any issues with that at all. Believe it or not, yeah, and I know the camera's not on, but I was getting right up close to the laptop as well to make sure I got these answers out quicker. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I'm intrigued by is, have you never seen Titanic? I have, but um, I didn't. What, just ask me, what was that question? Was it one or the other? Yeah, well, so, well at the end, R- Rose is on the door, the big wooden door, and Jack's there in the water, like lying on it. And there's like masses of room on the door and they're just like, oh, we're just going to leave Jack in the water. So he dies of hypothermia when he could have just lain on the door beside Rose and survived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I do recall that slightly now, but no, it's not. 
I was I was nowhere with that when you, you you caught me off guard. With that. <laughs> I think we just stick to scoring lots of runs rather than going on mastermind, Kyle, for the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I I tend to agree with that. So, well, Kyle, thank you very much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. I um I can't thank you enough. And when cricket returns to Scotland, all, all the best. I know that um people are supporting you. Uh, from up close and afar, and uh, and best luck with the uh, return to cricket and, and the World Cups when they come. Excellent. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Really great to hear from someone with with such experience in the game of of cricket uh, around the world and at different levels. And you know, this cricket is one of these sports, as you alluded to in the interview, Roy, where where it's very much the top end of the game that that takes a lot of the a lot of notice and there's a whole raft of, of very successful cricket programs and cricket nations sitting in that tier below full member that they're constantly vying for, for full, full funding from the ICC to keep their programs going, to keep their organizations alive and qualifying for world cups. And, and these, these players live and die by able to stay as a professional cricketer by every single result. It's just the pressure they must play under is just incredible. Yeah, for sure. It was really interesting what Carl said about that. And I think that the kind of importance of getting to major tournaments really came through. I mean, we all follow World Cups. I know there's a lot of controversy at the last ODI World Cup, only allowing 10 teams, which denied opportunity for a lot of the associate nations. And we just hope that for the ones that can make it, they really get to thrive in that opportunity. And hopefully we'll see more opportunities in the future for associate teams to get to qualify for World Cups and, and really give them the bread and butter that the players feed us and also the kind of financial security that that means they can carry on doing what they love yeah and and you look at all other major world tournaments football world cup is increasing you talk about the rugby world cup increase the number of teams conversation can be had about whether there's too many teams in some of these things but cricket seems to be only sport that that seems to be reducing the numbers i think i I saw in the last world cup there was more teams in the kabaddi world cup than there was in in the cricket world cup and let's not take away from anything from kabaddi you know very interesting, very good sports, but in terms of mainstream interest globally, that's a worrying, worrying stat. Yeah, it's very strange on cricket, and we said we hope things will change, but I mean, the associate nations are such credit to the game, and, and they are all such amazing nations in their own right, and we've seen such great results from them when they have had opportunities at World Cup, and we just hope that they get more opportunities in the future, and Carl can finish his career with more World Cup appearances like he said he wants to. So in this week, we're going to take a slightly different spin on our top threes. And in honour of Jimmy Anderson's incredible achievement uh, of being the first seam bowler to take 600 wickets, we thought we'd say our top three people we would like to be in a slip cordon with us. Now, these people don't have to be necessarily uh, sporting people, uh, but just people alive or dead that we would... uh, if we were to spend a day in, in, in the field, in the, in, the, in the slips, who we'd want there uh, beside us. So uh, I can't remember who went first. Is it... Uh, I'm trying to remember who went first last week. I went first and then lost, I think, which, which bucked the trend. And I'm very bitter about it. So. Uh, okay, so it's me to go first this week. So first of all, I'll say that all three of these obviously have to provide me with some entertainment, uh, whether it is through telling jokes or stories. It could be a long day, you know, six, seven hours in the dirt. Um, and so uh, with that, they have to try that. First thing, so I have to have someone who can actually catch the ball and tell me a story. So I think Freddie Flintoff has to be in there. And I can see why your gesticulation and your frustration that he was in your <laughs> one there. But as it's my week to go first, I'm going to take him off the board. So uh, Freddie uh, is incredible cricketer in his own right, incredible person. You know, anyone's listened to his podcast or 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 anything he's done on the radio or the TV, cl- clearly uh, is someone who, 
who's live life the right way and, and I'm sure have a lot to share. Um, someone else I'd like to hear about their stories, a uh, very much different side of the world I'll, I will never see is, is, is Brad Pitt. You know, Brad Pitt has been in some incredible movies, done some amazing things and, and the life of a, an A-list top Hollywood actor. Uh, I'm sure there's some, some things that never quite make the media. We never quite hear about. So to hear sort of what that life is like uh, really in sort of, not just the the highs, but also the lows and the trials and tribulations of it, um, I think would be really interesting. And so we always need someone to make us laugh. And I think this person in particular um, is up there, one of my favorite comedians. And I just like the idea of seeing uh, him stood in his whites, uh, standing at slip and trying to grasp what's going on. That's Kevin Bridges. I see Kevin Bridges, for those who don't know, you know, Scottish comedian, very, very funny man great observational humor uh, really intelligent switched on he's just hilarious uh, but i can't imagine he's ever made and maybe i'm wrong and if i am and anyone out there can tell me i'm wrong but i can't imagine he has a huge amount of uh, time on the cricket field but seeing him in whites uh, and 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 getting involved would 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 be hilarious in itself and, and i'd love to sort of hear his take and and a day in the field uh, as a cricketer so that would be that would be my three to join me in the slip cordon I mean, very frustrating that you've stolen one of my definites, which is Freddie Flintoff. I also had Kevin Bridges in mind, so I'm feeling slightly aggrieved going second here, but may- maybe it'll, oh, it'll spark me. Maybe when it'll I win me. again, he's going to come pouring out. But um, So again, I've had similar thoughts to you on a lot of the reasons. I think entertainment is absolutely paramount to a day in the slips. I think the ability to catch the ball. So I've gone for a different entertaining cricketer who is renowned for his fielding in the slips, and that's Shane Warne. We know Shane Warne's a bit of a laugh, a bit of a joker, and certainly enjoyed his time away from cricket as well as his time on the pitch in cricket. And we'd have a few stories for all of us that keep us going, and he'd be guaranteed to catch it. So I think Shane Warne can be number one. Of number two, I've also kind of gone down the comedian line for that kind of comedy effect. But I think what my comedian has over your comedian is the ability to sledge. I think we all know that sledging is a big part. Are you part telling of... me that Kevin Bridges well, couldn't couldn't sledge? I'm saying that in in he has yet to prove it in a professional environment where my comedian is a big feature on his current television show is his roast battles. And that is James Corden. I mean, I think in terms of comedy effect, we want James Corden, Gavin and Stacey rather than American James Corden. But in terms of his ability in the roast battles to take the piss out of all the celebrities that come on his show, I think certainly he'll have a few good sledges for the opposition batsmen. So I think he'll be definitely a good addition to the slips. And also he's probably similar to Kevin Bridges, the sort of build where you wouldn't want him running around the pitch on or else. <laughs> so standing in the slips would be good for him. Number three, I've got a different, slightly different approach. Um, if we talk about you know the bit, having to have the ability to catch in the slips, and one of the biggest things is about the size of your hands making the ball easier to catch. Now, thinking maybe the person, the famous person I know with the biggest hands has to be Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps is famous for his huge flipper hands and his huge flipper feet, which helped him being such a great swimmer. And I think with with those traits, he'll have had amazing catching ability in the slips, and also, I mean winning 18 Olympic golds. He'll have some stories to tell, I'm sure, of life in the Olympic village and what that's all about and being basically a superstar in the world of swimming um, and have a good few tips on how we manage ourselves as a team. So I think that he'll be an excellent addition to the slip cordon and we'll certainly be having more of a laugh and catching more balls in your cordon. Oh, wow. I, I don't even even need to put the poll out this week. There's absolutely no way that anyone is 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 voting for Rory. But 
there are some strange people out there, so we will see who uh, who wins our polls as ever. Um, thanks for Kyle for his time again. Thank you all for joining us. Um, we look forward to seeing you next week, and everyone stay safe.